you know, we're told the ground's fine and the water's already keep doing what you're doing, but our animals are telling us something different. These folks, honestly, too, are just overwhelmed. They don't know what to do. And I'm not sticking up for the EPA and the CDC, but they don't know what the hell they're doing because they've never done this before, right? You know, they're kind of in there doing the best they can. For lack of a better way to put it, they're just off. You know what I mean? This is Derailment Disaster, Crisis in East Palestine. More than a decade ago in Paulsboro, New Jersey, a train derailment and subsequent vinyl chloride spill forced hundreds of residents to evacuate, causing immediate disruption and plenty of anxiety. Paulsboro was issued an order to shelter in place for several hours today after officials saw a spike in an air quality assessment. One minute you can go outside and the next minute you're told to stay inside, close your windows, don't breathe. It's, it's crazy. Beyond the immediate impact, the potential long-term health implications of the exposure are cause for immense concern. The incident has left a lasting mark on the community, which continues to grapple with the uncertainty and fear of potential health consequences. Meanwhile, at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, thousands of Marines and their families were unknowingly exposed to drinking water contaminated with vinyl chloride and other volatile organic compounds over several decades. The VA acknowledges that solvents by an off-base dry cleaning company and industrial materials seeped into the water system there. While the contaminated wells were eventually shut down, the legacy of this prolonged exposure lingers. Plenty of scientific research has linked vinyl chloride exposure to various health conditions, including liver, lung, and blood cancers. Each of these cases illustrates the tragic potential for harm when communities are unknowingly or knowingly exposed to hazardous substances over extended periods of time. Again, emphasizing the critical importance of stringent environmental protections and monitoring. You know, I spoke with a farmer who had lost seven adolescent sheep in the past two months since this has happened. Jessica Connard shared her family's toxic exposure symptoms in our previous episode. She's also told us of her fight with Norfolk Southern to pay for a filter for her contaminated well. These adolescent sheep should not just be getting sick and dying. Now, the East Palestine resident and advocate explains how farms have likely been compromised by the chemical burn and spill. That's a serious, serious problem. This is Chase Kinder, the farmer that Jessica's referring to. Uh, the sheep are currently sitting in freezers waiting to go out for toxicology testing and, and necropsies. But the issue is, um, at this point, there is nobody that will actually do a necropsy for toxicology. They will just give you a probable cause of death. I've had issues with animals passing away from circumstance or you know, occasionally one will just die from old age, but to lose seven sheep when you have 32 sheep within two and a half weeks, there's certainly something wrong at that point. Chase also experienced adverse effects of his own. I had headaches. I experienced a sore throat, tingling lips, almost like a chap lip type feeling. 
I don't know if you can see on my hand where the skin uh, at one point was bleeding and burn off my hand initially. The source, residue on dog bowls. He told his family to stay away from them. Don't put your hands in these dishes, flip them over, we'll power wash them. I was uh, afraid of the dogs drinking the water. I think a lot of them did. They experienced diarrhea. They had some other health effects that I noticed that made them look as if they were off physically. Farmers, yeah, they just don't have many answers or any answers about how this situation could affect them, and they want some. It's really discouraging to me. It's also very discouraging that they're encouraging people based on, you know, what I would call small tidbits of information that things are fine when they really don't know if they're fine. They're kind of telling people everything's great, but what they don't understand is that in the food chain, agriculturally, when you come in and you sell products in which these chemicals are stored in the liver or other fatty portions of the animal, now you have secondary biopoisoning going into our society or people that are eating these products. And uh, the chlorophyll from, from plants, for example, is gonna do the same thing. So scientifically, it's just not good business. I'm actually in the process of building a house currently in Crawford, Tennessee. And um, there's a part of me that, that, that really does feel guilty because I have the ability to go into debt, build another house or make a move. There's a lot of people that don't. And uh, you know, I, I actually do feel sometimes a piece of me that says, this isn't fair if you want the truth. But I also feel part of me that says, I can't live in East Palestine anymore. Hello, Rob. This is him. Hi, this is Jared Lofton. How are you? Rob Two Hawks lives about a half mile from the derailment site. He struggled in school and never really found a typical career, so to speak. I uh, hate to define myself, but my life trajectory has really been totally wrapped up with uh, a very early trauma. Without going into too much detail, Rob was jumped by a group of kids he was hanging out with at the age of 15. I had a traumatic brain injury and I went comatose and that was that was way back in 1967. The name Two Hawks, it was given to him by a Native American elder. When Rob couldn't find success with traditional therapies, he went an alternative route, to which he credits much of his success in overcoming his TBI and PTSD. Today Rob lives with metabolic heart failure. And right now you would say that I have advanced heart failure. And he believes the derailment has exacerbated his struggle to stay active. I set out to walk downtown, you know, a couple of days after we got back and it was like, this is really hard. And I had to make three or four stops on the way down, which I never had to do before. And in the last month, that has just progressed. It's, um, it's become incredibly challenging. Would you say that you can attribute this to the derailment? I mean, that otherwise wouldn't necessarily make sense to advance right. this way. So right. I, I can't confirm it otherwise, you know, without the testing, but it sure makes sense to me. It has to be. Probably the predominant diagnosis has been the chemical bronchitis, and that would really fit right in with everything that I already have. And it's not like Rob's alone. Those around him have experienced disturbing symptoms, too. Now, I've never had a nosebleed, but I have a neighbor uh, just a couple doors down that has never had one, and she had 15 nosebleeds. 
within a two-week period there, so that that was the impact it had with her. But um, those first couple of weeks, I mean, you know, it didn't smell good around here. <laughs> Regardless of what they're saying about how safe the air was. Well, I mean, what we're being told is that uh, the testing's going on, and everyone in this hospital can get all the help that they need. That's what well, that's 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 the message, isn't it? That's the message. I know you've done a lot of homework here. I think what when you get back into the toxicity, we just got done a couple of weeks ago with the, you know, the uh, soil testing, and um, based on the EPA's own best recommendations in 2010, we are in trouble here. In 2010, the EPA released a comprehensive literature review on dioxins. This review, known as the Dioxin Reassessment, took years of work. The final version of the Dioxin Reassessment wasn't released until 2012 after additional review. Nonetheless, the EPA confirms that there's a cancer risk from dioxin exposure even at current daily life exposure levels. This means that even very small exposures to dioxins can have significant health impacts. According to an article in The Guardian, data shows some East Palestine soil contains dioxin levels hundreds of times greater than the EPA's cancer risk exposure threshold. I don't know how many, how widespread, none of us know where the future is headed, but a lot of people are going to really deal with potential chronic illnesses and mysterious immune illnesses. And, you know, we're seeing a, a real uptick in terms of chronic illness, and I really do believe it has a tremendous amount to do with uh, the environment. You know, we live in an incredibly toxic world. As someone who's devoted the last four years to studying counseling and psychology, I can only imagine the profound impact the Norfolk Southern derailment has had on all of those in and around East Palestine. This was a traumatic event. There's no debating that. Residents grapple with physical illness, yes, but they also face stress, anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder. The uncertainty about their future, their families, their homes, and their livelihoods. All of it takes an emotional toll that can be as real as any physical injury. There's nothing that we're going to do that's going to take the source of that anxiousness away. It's about, okay, so how do you, how did you manage this so that you're not, you know, being real crappy with your kids, so that you're not not sleeping, so that you're not drowning yourself in a bottle, so you're not doing all those things? How does this, how do you encompass this without it turning into something that has a lot of negative behaviors associated with it? Born and raised in East Palestine, Jessica Oates is the founder of Insight Clinical Counseling and Wellness. I have stayed relatively local to the area. A mental health and wellness practice that serves communities across Ohio and West Virginia through various locations and telehealth services. My forte has pretty much always been, been trauma. That's just really been, been my thing from the beginning, a lot of crisis response as well. The night of the derailment, Jessica, on her way back from a night out with her husband and young son, had to swoop back into East Palestine and pick up her grandmother, who lives near the tracks. I get this call from my mother, who's like, hey, just want to let you know, I just heard on the news that there's a train derailment in East Palestine. I'm like, mom, like, how bad are we talking here? I'm looking at Facebook and I'm like, oh no, oh no, oh no. Grandma, 
who you heard in our intro episode. Come in and help us. Please come in and help us. Would live with Jessica and her family in nearby New Waterford, Ohio for the next two weeks. It was a photo on social media that made Jessica realize her practice and the town would be forever changed. I zoom in and I'm like, that's taken from my parking lot at the office. I'm like, that's my dumpster. That's my parking lot. So we are, I kind of call it at ground zero. This disaster has intensified the urgency of their mission, amplifying the personal stakes for Jessica and her team of clinicians as they grapple with the crisis in their own backyard. You just know how those images can get burned in the brain, how they disrupt the sleep, how there's intrusive thoughts, all of the all of the things that, that, that occur. It was just very much an awareness of this is going to affect the mental health of the entire community. Though never a certainty, after cleaning, replacing carpet, and installing air filters, Insight is back in their office. I think of people's experiences as having the same intricacies as a fingerprint of everyone's experience leading up to this event is going to have them react and respond in such different ways. And so, of course, was concerned about our clients, was concerned about our clinicians, was concerned about our building, the entire community of what is this going to look like. Jessica and her team didn't wait to jump into action. They were involved the very next day after the derailment. We set up a an emergency mental health crisis line that, that morning. This service was designed to provide quick support to anyone impacted, addressing the emotional and psychological turmoil stirred by the event. I had one client who seemed at like an exponential amount of distress about the evacuation. Everyone's distressed about this, but her symptoms were really high around this. And after talking to her and getting her psychosocial history, she's lost two homes in her life to a house fire. And there was nothing that was going to convince her that this derailment and this evacuation was not going to lead to another incident in which she left her house and her house was, was demolished and all of her things were gone all over again. Jessica's clients aren't the only ones working to process this event. She's working on it, too. I'm a very firm believer of putting your own oxygen mask on first. And if I don't do that, I don't have the capabilities to help any of my clinicians get through anything, of any of my clients get through anything. So, um, you know, I'm pretty vocal about what my experience is. There's some of us that are maybe promoting resiliency and we got this and we're strong and we're going to rebuild and we're going to do this. But then, you know, when you're home at night and you think about it and you're like, but are we? Are we safe? There's still that, there's still that doubt. There's still that concern. And of course, there's a lot of people who are staying and we're going to do this and we're going to fight. And there's a lot of people that are like, absolutely not. I'm out. I'm, I'm out. I'm not doing this. And it's important to remember, it's not just the adults struggling with the trauma and uncertainty. It's the kids, too. My son, right before bed, about a month after we came home, 
asked me, like, Mom, am I going to die from being here in my own home? As you'll learn in the next episode, Misty Allison is another East Palestine resident who's become an advocate for her town. And that's absolutely heartbreaking. Her family, like so many others, just wants answers and accountability. This whole experience has robbed our children of their childhood and potentially so much more, which is really tragic and heartbreaking to think about. And again, much like so many others who live there, Misty and her family have experienced otherwise unexplainable symptoms too. We just weren't sure if it was like correlation with it being winter in Ohio, or if it was causation from being exposed to these chemicals. Um, but around the time that we came back to East Palestine, uh, like my husband and I were on antibiotics, I had this weird chemical skin irritation going on with my fingers. I had to go to urgent care for. My son and daughter both had runny noses. I had a bloody nose and like was coughing up um, some like bloody discharge, for instance, that like I don't talk about a lot because it's embarrassing to talk about some of those physical symptoms. But that was happening and those aren't type of symptoms that I have normally. They're living the consequences of this preventable toxic derailment daily. There are still people who are evacuated from their homes, um, which is like absolutely heartbreaking. And there's going to be these like economic ramifications that are going to um, snowball for years to come. Because, you know, as I've said before, there really is like a scarlet letter on our town right now where sports teams still don't want to come and play here, where businesses, you know, don't want to open shop here. Um, you know, and people just don't want to be here. Everybody's just really scared. And when Misty talks about all the brave first responders who came to the city's aid that February night, my thoughts turn to 9-11 first responders who suffer from toxic exposure to this day. There were 50 fire departments who came from three-state area because we are on the Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia border. And I know that the Pittsburgh airport flew a plane in with some foam that night as well. And also in this area, most of the first responders are volunteers. Think about that too. So they are actually volunteering. This is not their full-time jobs. Uh, they're our friends, our neighbors, our family, our loved ones, and they're going into uh, this literal fireball without knowing exactly what type of fire they're trying to put out. And that is just absolutely criminal, in my opinion. Um, they should have known because they were trying to fight a fire that to my understanding, couldn't really be put out with water. And so like they drained our city lake, they drained a lot of the different water sources from all over the area and putting water on these deadly chemicals and getting in harm's way. And that's just heartbreaking to me. And so I think about that constantly. And those are the individuals that I'm concerned about the most. I can't help but think about hazmat specialist Sil Caggiano and what he said about the consist, how it should have been available to first responders, how everyone should have known about the toxic chemicals on this train. The aftermath has left East Palestine Fire Chief Keith Drabick grappling with feelings of frustration and defeat. According to messages obtained by DailyMail.com, amid the ensuing chaos, Drabick candidly voiced his sentiments in private messages. He wrote, why does it have to be so hard? As he battled the crisis and the, as he put it, ginormous shit show of conflicting responses from various officials and agencies. As the crisis continued, Drabik's tenacity and dedication to his community remained unwavering. 
His messages paint a stark picture of a man striving to protect his town while grappling with forces beyond his control. And as much as I've dug and questioned and researched for each one of these episodes, I think Chase said it best. They're just f***ing up. Know what I mean? Derailment Disaster, Crisis in East Palestine is a Calliope Media production. Trust Calliope.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-O-P-E. If you feel moved to do so, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. Special thanks to Benstown McVeigh Media.